Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. excited to cover a big signing today for the Brewers, uh, as well as a week into spring training, um, as well as some other fun baseball stuff uh, focused on the Brewers. David, your thoughts today as we open up today's podcast? Yeah, I'm, I'm equally as excited, especially uh, bringing in Jackie Bradley Jr., guy that is pretty exciting addition probably the best free agent left on the market at the time that they signed him last week and just excited to cover it and excited as as brewers baseball is in full swing now and in about three and a half weeks we'll be seeing the brewers um, with their home opener uh, against the minnesota twins actually yeah brewers in full swing and with some fans as well which was fun uh unfortunately neither of us uh, with any plans to make it down to Arizona for spring training this year, but even just seeing some fans uh, at the game, seeing that on social media, it's just good to see again. And I'm excited uh, to get back to a game once they do get back to American family field here in Milwaukee uh, to make it to a game. It has been a crazy long time. Uh, definitely have not gone a season without making it to a game. So I think this is probably, I don't know, probably since I was like three or something, the first, uh, the longest time, in between a brewer game i would have yeah, to guess I, so i found um a ticket from my first brewer game and i was only two months old so there we it's go it's possible then maybe that i yeah I, i've never gone i i'd be surprised actually if i had gone this long um in my life at all including from when i was born so it has been a really long time i'm really excited 25 percent capacity they did announce not sure exactly what they're going to do with the roof because i know the city of milwaukee is a little bit more lenient on allowing bigger crowds when there is a roof uh, excuse me when when the roof is open but if it starts raining are they gonna leave the roof open do they feel like it's too big of a threat to close the roof i'm not really sure and then how does that play into the ma- the whole masks thing too if you're in an open is it an open building then do they not have to wear the masks if they close the roof then does that uh put in the mask mandate i don't know exactly how that yeah, all will be held I- either Yeah, I'm not sure. I know all I know is, of course, I was watching some SEC baseball today and uh, none of the fans is like full capacity crowds. (laughs) Right, right. None of the players, none of the fans were masked or uh, separate from each other is kind of funny. But um, we will get there someday with the Brewers when this is a little bit more under control. And I'm looking forward to that. But excited at least that we'll be able to have at least about 10, 11,000 fans for the Brewers this year in the regular season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know what your thoughts are on the demand for the tickets. Um, I mean, at least speaking from uh, just my experience in the last couple of months, as things have opened up a little bit more around the area, uh, restaurants even, it seems like the demand's definitely there. Do you see the brewers having, you know, easily selling 10 to 11,000 and basically, you know, quote unquote, selling out every game this year? I think so, especially the first half of the year. Uh, it's not as difficult to sell out because you are selling less tickets. And I think the demand is there. I, I think that people probably won't be too worried also uh, with such a small crowd relative to the capacity. I mean, you're probably sitting no more than like two rows and five seats away from someone that you don't know. I don't think that that really poses a risk to, uh, to COVID, uh, especially being outdoors most likely. 
I think they probably will try to have the roof open as much as possible. So I think that they probably will be able to sell out pretty much every game. Yeah. And the Brewers historically, or I mean, especially in the last, you know, five, 10 years uh, with being the better team that they have been during that time frame, have had no issues, you know, easily averaging uh, obviously well above the 10, 11 mark, thankfully. Um, I believe in the, is, am I correct in that they average around in the thirties typically? Typically. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. I agree. I don't think I, I don't see them having an issue. I'm actually curious to see as a fan, how difficult it's going to be to get some tickets. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they'll run that process, but definitely excited to get my hands on some tickets soon. Mm-hmm. And, and I also hope that uh, soon we will be done with the jokes about the Marlins and the Rays. Like, Oh, they're operating at full <laughs> capacity. Like we've been hearing those jokes for a year now. <laughs> we don't really need to hear them anymore. I feel like every, like every time the Marlins or Rays say anything about tickets, everybody just makes that joke. And there's so many people that find it funny. I'm not really sure why that's funny anymore. It was, I will admit it was funny the first time I saw uh-huh. it, but yes, I agree. I've seen it a handful of times at this point and uh, a little past it. I guess uh-huh. you can just chop that up with uh, all the other pandemic unprecedented uh, parts of the pandemic that we saw in the unprecedented year. So anyways, uh, we got uh, a little off track there, but uh, what's today's trivia question? Yeah, today's trivia question uh, is the Brewers four highest paid players are outfielders. And what percent of the payroll do those four players make up? Uh, so that includes uh, all players currently for, for this year, but also buyout signing bonuses. What percent of the payroll do the four outfielders make up? I have a follow-up question on your trivia question. Uh, just for some context uh, for the listeners out there, what is uh, roughly the Brewers expected uh, payroll to be this year? Uh, their payroll is in that $90 million range, uh, could be off by a couple million, but uh, somewhere around there. Um, and yeah, so four guys, four highest, keep in mind, but what percent of the payroll do they make up? And then uh, I'll just go straight into today's random player of the day. Uh, not a very random player, but most people probably don't know that he actually debuted with the Brewers. Nelson Cruz, he is a DH for the Minnesota Twins. The Brewers will see him to open the year. Uh, at Miller Park or American Family Field, although I guess maybe he won't be playing since he'll have to play the field if he does play. Uh, but he actually debuted with the Brewers 2005, seven plate appearances. He uh, had one hit and five at bats, walked twice, uh, and that that hit he did have was a double. So 200 batting average, but a 429 on base, 400 slugging. So he was a very good hitter in the seven plate appearances that he had Uh, it wasn't really until he got to texas that he began to break out the brewers uh, traded him in 2006 along with carlos lee to the rangers for francisco cordero kevin mensch lance nix and a minor leaguer named julian cordero so uh, some vintage brewers names there from about 15 years ago hard to believe that he was traded for those guys those none of them have played in so long and the brewers actually acquired him from oakland a couple years prior for keith ginter uh, former third baseman, and I think also a former random player of the day. I want to say he might have been the first one a uh, number of months ago, but Brewers acquired him from the Mets, and he was or from the A's, and he was originally signed by the Mets in 1998, so 23 years ago uh, was he signed, and still playing at age 41. Uh, he's today's random player of the day, debuting with the Brewers back in 2005. Can you sprinkle some context on that trade uh, with Carlos Lee? 
Um, kind of an interesting trade, just thinking of it now, you know, trading Cruz, who was uh, effectively a prospect at the time with Carlos Lee, who was a veteran, um, maybe a little bit of a bigger contract. I mean, he was still with the Brewers, so not necessarily a massive contract by any means for Cordero, who was a pretty good reliever at the time and some other prospects. Uh, any context on the goals, uh, the goal of the trade for the Brewers and the Rangers, or was it just kind of a swap of two good-ish players that we don't see as much anymore? Yeah, I think it was mostly the latter. Uh, Carlos Lee was a, a pretty productive player around that time. Um, in 06 with the Brewers, Carlos Lee hit 286, slugged 549. Uh, so he was he was a pretty good hitter, uh, even if he was a bit limited defensively. Cruz was pretty young, but um, he was, I would say, kind of one of those guys that he's a decent prospect, but he's like always a prospect or he like keeps bouncing around because he's he's good enough to be a prospect or to be wanted, but he's, he's never really supposed to be like, never, he kind of takes a while to gain his footing, I guess. That's kind of what it seems like. I wasn't really following yet at that point. I was very young, um, but that's what it seems like the trade was. Three, three to be exact. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Francisco Cordero had a nice year in 07. He made the all-star team and they, when they lost him in free agency in 08, uh, they received a compensation pick, which turned into Jake Odorizzi. Uh, Odorizzi actually um, ended up being dealt in the Grinky trade, brought back, uh, of course, Grinky and Unieski Betancourt. Odorizzi actually just recently signed with the Astros. Yeah, we definitely don't see a lot of those trades anymore now. Typically, you know, it's usually pretty clear one team getting the current talent and the other team hoping for uh, future talent. So don't see that very often anymore, but was just kind of interested on the context of that trade. So there you have it, random player of the day, Nelson Cruz. Uh, and before we jump into uh, diving into the JBJ signing uh, some more, just want to do a quick spring training update. Obviously, we're very early into spring training. These games don't necessarily mean a lot, but Brewers are four and three. Um, I guess I guess that's a good thing. Um, and a few minor uh, injuries to report. Lorenzo Cain will be out one to two weeks with a quad issue and Luis Urias out just a few days with uh, some hamstring soreness. Any thoughts, David, briefly on uh, spring training so far? Yeah, I have watched uh, only one game. They've only had a couple games televised so far. Um, so from a mix of what I saw and what I've heard, both Garrett Mitchell and Tyrone Taylor have impressed a little bit, especially Mitchell being just a year out of college ball from UCLA. First round pick, of course, last year, uh, but he's really impressed. And then from what I saw, the pitching staff looked like uh, looked pretty good. Uh, the stuff was good, but a lot of walks in the uh, limited action that I saw on Hel Perdomo, um, live arm, a lot of walks. Same thing with mm -hmm. Zach Brown. Uh, so that was kind of the theme I w was watching. That was Brewers Padres was the main game that I watched. Uh, and Justin Topa actually looked really good in that game. I think Topa will play a big role for the Brewers in, in 2021. We'll talk about that more in a few weeks when we go a little bit deeper in with the bullpen. Uh, but yeah, just a few takeaways so far early on. Kind of hard to gather things from spring training uh, other than like best shape of his life, um, which you always <laughs> hear. Obviously, Ayel Garcia, of course, being this year's uh, recipient of best shape of his life <laughs> award, 36 pounds lost. Um, and and hopefully that helps him on the field. But just, yeah, some some minor notes on spring training so far. Yeah, I'm absolutely excited for Topa. I am big on him. I have high expectations. Hopefully he can play a, a big role in the bullpen this year. And then also heard that uh, Tyrone Taylor is also having a good start to his spring training. 
may have something to do with increased competition, uh, likely with Derek Fisher and Billy McKinney. So we'll see um, who ends up with the spots. I know Taylor doesn't have uh, the option. Or excuse me. Taylor does have the options, whereas the other two do not, which is unfortunately playing against his favor. Um, but if we do see him have a really good spring training, you never know. Hopefully he doesn't uh, get the Juan Francisco <laughs> uh, situation deal. <laughs> I don't know if you guys uh, fans remember Juan Francisco, like <laughs> hit over 400 in spring training. That That's good. <laughs> it was, I think it was like in the, it was the mid three hundreds, but still. Okay. So he wasn't yeah. quite Ted Williams. Uh, basically he was Wade Boggs for spring training with power. And then the Brewers didn't give him, <laughs> give him a spot in the major league roster, which kind of cracked me up. But also I felt for him because he came into spring training, could not have done just about anything better. And then the Brewers still didn't keep him. Yeah. Um, well, and he lost his spot to like 37 year old Lyle Overbay. That was in 2014. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And now Juan Francisco is, um, he's still playing actually. He's in uh, La Liga Dominicana, which is the Dominican Winter League. And mm. he is the all time home run leader in the league for a career. And he also, I think, I'm almost positive. His jersey number is number 111, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Not <laughs> sure why they decided to assign him a triple-digit number, um, but I'm all for it for Juan Francisco, who basically just takes hacks, bat flips when yep. he goes yard, and is the all-time home run leader in the Dominican Winter League. There, there you go. There's always a random nugget that you have from our from our episode. So there's there's today's. I don't even know how we got on Juan Francisco, but that's uh with Juan Francisco on that note, we will uh, recap our or we'll end our spring training update and uh, dive more into the Jackie Bradley Jr. signing, which, like you said, uh, likely the best player left in free agency when the Brewers made the move. Uh, how do you see this signing impacting uh, the Brewers as a club? Yeah, I think that he's going to impact the club in a, a pretty big way. Uh, he is, I think he's a very good player. Um, he was fourth five wins above replacement back in 2016 and has been around average or better over the four years since then, including last year where he was, uh, his wins above replacement total was actually twice as good as the highest brewer. Uh, one and a half wins above replacement. Last year he had 283, uh, 364 on base percentage, and he's a great defender. Uh, it seems like what the Brewers are going to do is have him play in right field. Craig Council said that Lorenzo Kane is their center fielder. So on days off, you have to assume Bradley will play some center. But um, but Kane probably will play center most days, maybe get some more days off. Kane is actually already about 35 years old. Uh, obviously, El Garcia is coming off a down year. He hit left-handed pitching pretty well. Uh, but Bradley probably will get most of the starts in right field against right-handed pitching. I think that he has a lot of depth uh, because now they have four viable starting options that they can kind of rotate in the outfield. Uh, but he also provides some insurance should one of the outfielders get hurt or underperform like we saw in 2018 when they had four starting outfielders and Domingo Santana failed to produce in the first couple months of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think you touched on a lot of those important points. Um, the insurance on, on uh, any injuries, Lorenzo Kane, like you said, he is getting up there a little bit more. I know he's an athlete um, and he does handle center field very well, um, but I do think it's nice to have that option. Um, it gives, it gives counsel also um, he can feel a lot better plugging in uh, JBJ or Garcia uh, and giving Kane an extra day off uh, as opposed to, you know, throwing a Tyrone Taylor or McKinney or whoever we end up seeing there in that other role. Uh, I think it gives counsel just, 
more options in the outfield. Do you see any of those outfielders um, getting any time in the infield or those four pretty much going to stay in the outfield entirely? Um, hopefully, hopefully not. I, I wouldn't really like to see that. Any, I don't think like none of them came up as infielders. Yelich was actually a first baseman some in high school, but I don't think we're going to see that, nor do I really want to see that at this point. Uh, I, I don't really see it. Uh, maybe bring back Ryan Braun and move him to third base again. Um, I think that that um, that's kind of what was brought up a lot, third base and then first base later in his career. Uh, but I, I think that we probably will see these guys exclusively in the outfield, especially since all of them are at least solid defenders in the outfield. It's not like Domingo Santana is one of the guys there. He was always a terrible defender. Uh, and, and it seemed like he might have been a better fit at first base or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think it probably makes sense. Maybe we see a, one of them get a, a few shots at first base, but it probably doesn't make sense. Like you said, uh, good defenders in the outfield. Um, so do you see that? I mean, we talked about the depth, but I mean, is it almost too much depth? Are we going to see enough at-bats from those four good hitters? Because I mean, those are still, I mean, well, frankly, all four of them should be better hitters than we saw last year, uh, at least those that were with the Brewers. But those are four of the Brewers' better hitters. So are they really going to get enough at-bats that this signing makes sense for the Brewers? I think they will. Uh, if you if you look at the three outfield spots, there are probably about 2,100 at-bats to go around uh, between the four of them. Yelich will be playing every day, providing he stays healthy, uh, which he has been outside of that, that fluke kneecap injury. Lorenzo Cain probably will get about 550 at bats, 500, 550. Depends how well his body holds up. He's coming off a year where he opted out uh, and he, he is getting up there in age, but he has been very durable throughout his career, played through a number of nagging injuries in 2019 down the stretch. He sprained his ankle at the at play at the plate and then an inning later robbed a home run. I still am not <laughs> sure how he was able to pull that off. Um, that's, a, that's, a, Garce- huh? that's like a 19, that's like a 19, uh, 40s baseball story hard knock yeah, that, baseball right there yeah that seems like something you wouldn't really see today um but Kane I guess shows Kane's athleticism and his determination but uh, he'll probably get about 500 550 at bats Bradley will probably get about 550 at bats and Garcia um probably a, a little bit fewer he didn't hit very well uh not a great defensive outfielder I'd say he's definitely the weakest of the four but I also don't think that he's necessarily just a backup uh so I, I do think that when you look at the four outfielders, especially those those three outfielders for the two spots, um, I think you are looking at enough at bats, probably about 500, 550 for Bradley and Kane, and then maybe about three to 400 for Garcia. And I think that that's, that's a good amount, uh, especially with the way Garcia hit right-handed pitching last year. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I mean, it only makes the Brewers lineup better. And it also depends on, how they all perform this year. If Garcia bounces back and has a strong year, uh, Brewers will find a way to get his bat in the lineup, certainly. And then finally, how does this, you know, how does this put the Brewers uh, in the central against uh, the the current favorites, the Cardinals? I, I think this might propel them above the Cardinals. Of course, there is some bias on my part, uh, but I think that the Cardinals have more holes than people realize it tends to be that when a superstar is acquired by a team, the rest of their holes are overlooked. Nobody really looks at the fact that the Cardinals have probably the worst offensive outfield in baseball. Uh, They've got a a very good defensive unit, similar to the Brewers, but 
I think that the Brewers probably have a better pitching staff. Um, their lineup is, I would say, probably pretty comparable, um, and their defense is pretty comparable. I think the Brewers are probably, right now, probably about one or two wins better than the Cardinals. But, of course, um, as all the uh, old-school baseball people would say, the game's not played on paper or on a computer. So we'll have to see how the season plays out. I think the Brewers actually are deeper, though, and potentially should be the favorites for the division. Yeah, no, I just even digging deeper on the position players, kind of going position by position, looking at the Cardinals where they've got Yadi Molina, who you probably take over the Brewers mix of Narvaez and Pena first base, obviously Goldschmidt um, likely again, taking him over Hira, but over second uh, Wong would definitely have the advantage shortstop, sort of a toss up. And then of course the star power Arenado, who they just brought in, um, who likely will bounce back after last year. Uh, but like you said, outfield looks pretty weak uh, for the Cardinals compared to, you know, the Yelich, Kane, JBJ, and Garcia mix the Brewers have. Um, and Brewers bullpen, of course, we expect that to be a strong suit. And Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, um, really a lot of the projections have them having very, very good years. Uh, I, believe it, I believe it was you who brought to my attention that Woodruff was, I believe, top three or four starting pitcher ranked by the athletic. And again, that was in fantasy baseball projections. So again, not entirely just on ranking um, overall starting pitchers, but uh, the expectations on Woodruff, at least uh, just speaking on Woodruff is to be a number one starter for the Brewers. And, you know, you have a strong number one Burns is pretty good and you have some depth there as well. Um, Stacked on top of a really good bullpen. I mean, that's going to be a tough team to beat um, in the playoffs. So like you said, I think the Brewers and Cardinals are right there. I think you can make the case for either team, uh, but certainly in the playoffs, I would take the Brewers given just the way that they, they've been built. So taking a look further at the Brewers outfield, I know we've talked about the outfield a lot, um, but even diving in a little bit more on the numbers, for those of you actually that don't know uh, how David and I started this whole podcast and this whole journey, uh, take it way back to, uh, was it December of, of 2019? And we were coming up with uh, some, just talking more through baseball and uh, all of our uh, knowledge and uh, passion for the game and came up with the idea of creating an ebook around some baseball statistical projections. Uh, David actually does his own projections uh, through Microsoft Excel and has his own formulas uh, and creates it that way. And so uh, for the 2020 season, it was then we created an entire 2020 ebook season preview for the entire major leagues, which was a, uh, an interesting journey to, uh, to do so starting in December of 2019 to come up with a 2020 uh, season preview ebook by, <clears throat> I believe it was March or April, uh, right before the season started. Um, so it was, it was a good experience. We enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. Um, and we were able to put out that ebook. Uh, things kind of morphed and changed. We started our own podcast. It was a major league uh, podcast, uh, the inside pitch podcast. And this then morphed into the bleeding blue and yellow podcast is how we got into podcasting and realized, you know, Yes, we know Major League Baseball and we enjoy covering it, but our true passions for the Brewers, let's let's just uh, focus on the Brewers. And that's what we've been doing since. So that's a little bit of backstory for you guys that have joined us on the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast journey. Uh, we appreciate all of you. And that's a little bit of the backstory. So David does a little bit of uh, cutting back on the projections. He does not do the thousand players that he did for the 2020 season, um, which, by the way, of course, the 2020 season. Uh, was the 2020 season, which was kind of, we had to laugh because all those, all that work and kind of went thrown out the window. But uh, 
anyways, that's the backstory uh, on our whole podcast and, and how we got into this. So all that to say, uh, David did do his, uh, his own uh, projections through his own models. And today we want to just take a look at the Brewers outfield. So I've been talking a lot, David. So why don't you share some thoughts on your projections for the Brewers outfield and also how that compares to some other uh, ones out there, including fan graphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, it takes me uh, not too long. I just completed these projections pretty recently uh, after they had signed JBJ. I, I thought that I should um, look at how Jackie Bradley Jr. compares to the other outfielders, at least offensively. My projections don't include defense. So um, I don't know if I'd say that's a flaw. It's just, it's a lot more difficult to project defense. Um, and you more just are kind of throwing out a number there than you are able to at least a little bit better project offensive numbers. Um, so I won't just r- list off all the numbers we have um, for the outfielders. And I will publish these uh, around when the season is starting in a season preview article. So um you can look out for that. And actually, um, I I just released an article on how the Jackie Bradley Jr. signing affects the Brewers. So make sure you check that out, too. Um, we went in a little bit deeper, a little bit different areas than we covered on this podcast. Um, but like I was saying, Christian Yelich probably will get the majority of the at-bats in left field like he did last year. Uh, but hopefully he does have a better year. And my projection system thinks that he will. Uh, 290 average, it has him slated for with a 401 on base percentage and a 538 slugging. Uh, 32 home runs only, which is a little bit down from his better years a couple years ago. And uh, 88 RBIs, 103 runs scored. Uh, although those last two numbers are a little bit harder to project because it's more dependent on where he hits in the lineup and who's, how some of the other hitters uh, produce around him. But that I think that that's a very good bounce back year. I would be very happy if Christian Yelich put up that year with the Brewers for the 2021 season. Lorenzo Cain was a little bit harder because he's coming off of um, 2020 where he didn't really play. 2019, uh, he had a down year, but he was also uh, hampered down by injuries like we were mentioning. And I have him hitting 280, 345 on base percentage, not much in the power department. Uh, 13 stolen bases though. And kind of a, a spark plug at the top of the lineup. I think that 345 on base percentage would uh, probably uh, allow him to be one of the top two hitters in the lineup um, as far as a, a guy who gets on base and sets the table for the middle of the lineup. Jackie Bradley Jr. was also interesting, and he's coming off of probably his best offensive year, uh, but also his stat cast numbers, his underlying hard hit numbers uh, weren't actually as good as they were in previous years. So he was a little bit of an interesting case. Also, I have been projected 338 on base, 443 slugging, 20 home runs. I think that if if he does produce like that, the Brewers had a, a steal in his two-year $25 million contract. Uh, he does have an opt-out after the first year in which he'll make about $11 million. Uh, so that is up in the air. We don't know if we'll have him for 2022 also, um, but steady offense there. And then Avisel Garcia, uh, 400 plate appearances, 257 average, 318 on base, 418 slugging. Uh, so I, th- I think that has the makings of a, a very solid outfield. Yelich, of course, uh, up to MVP standards in my projection system. And Kane Bradley and Garcia all having solid offensive years. How do you see this outfield stacking up against some of the better outfields in baseball? I mean, I know this may not be you know the best outfield in baseball, but I mean, I would expect it to be sort of in that 
tier two outfield across the major leagues. What are your thoughts on that and how the Brewers outfield stacks up against their competition? Yeah, I think it's a deeper lineup than, uh, than, or excuse me, I think it's a deeper outfield than most people realize. They've got four starting caliber outfielders. Uh, even like, I don't even know if the Dodgers have four capable starting outfielders. I wouldn't necessarily say that the Brewers is uh, one of the very best in the majors, but I think it's solid. I think it's probably one of the strengths of their ball club uh, and probably is still at least one of the better outfields in the league, even if maybe not the very best. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair enough assumption. So again, that's kind of a, a breakdown on, on the Brewers outfield going into spring training here still early. Uh, and certainly we'll wait and see as well. Um, haven't really touched on them too much, but Tyrone Taylor, uh, Billy McKinney as well, um, who could play a role in this year for now. Um, I see your projections don't have a whole lot of uh, at-bats only around, you know, mid seventies for Taylor uh, potentially. That's right. Derek Fisher left him out there. Uh, Fisher and McKinney just getting a handful of at-bats. So we'll see how that things, uh, how things shake out for them, but uh Certainly, we'll keep you posted as well. And next week, we will be covering a deep dive on the Brewers catchers as well as their entire infield. So that will be an interesting one to cover as we see how the Colton Wong addition uh, plays in. Obviously, Travis Shaw, also a new face uh, for 2021. And then how uh, Luis Urias and Orlando Arcia will split time over at shortstop. So before we wrap up today's episode, a question that we've floated around on the on the podcast, but has been continued to become deferred based on... Uh, the JBJ signing uh, and other Brewers news that came up, which I won't complain about, um, which is uh, which Brewer would make the best manager. So uh, I'll ask you, David, first, who's your take on uh, which Brewer actively on the roster would, would make the best manager? I think it would be Lorenzo Kane. He seems like a leader on the club. Of course, he is a strong veteran presence in the outfield. Uh, even though he was gone last year, it seems like they, they really missed his leadership um, in, in light of that. And the previous two years, he – I don't know if I'd say that he was the best player, but he was kind of the anchor or the heart and soul of their team. I think that that, that means a lot. And I think that uh, he could have managing in his future. I think he would probably make the best manager among guys on the current roster. Yeah. So my pick would be Lorenzo Cain for the best current player uh, who could be a manager down the road. Who would be your pick? Yes. Yeah, good question. I know I was, uh, we were talking about who would be the best president on the Brewers uh, roster a while back. And I went with Ryan Braun because of his, uh, the dirt, a little dirt on his resume, like every other politician, but of course, Braun no longer actively uh, on it. And uh, I wouldn't see him becoming a manager, but uh, we were talking a little bit before the pod uh, about how we see a lack of pitchers as managers yeah, you came up with Bud Black and uh, Mickey Calloway, and I'm sure there are others as well that'll come to us later. But uh, as I was trying to jot through the Brewers roster, I, I didn't see a lot of other position players. I mean, maybe Christian Yelich, but you don't usually see um, that good of a player generally becoming a manager. Um, so I had to go with, uh, I had to, to break the rule of the question and uh, go with a, a, a former Brewer, a recent Brewer-ish uh, in Jonathan Lucroy. Seems like kind of like the, uh, the makings of a good manager was a good catcher, had some good years, uh, but also just had years in, in baseball, uh, kind of riding around now as with some starting time, but primarily as a backup. Uh, seemed like a good clubhouse guy, good guy that a lot of players respected. So I know I went out of, out of the question there and went with a, a former Brewer, but he stuck out too much to me to uh, to be a potential managerial candidate. And who knows, obviously, uh, Luke Roy still in baseball. So it's yet to be seen what he will do. Uh, but certainly I would imagine if he did want to have a job um, in some form of coaching, 
I don't imagine he'd have too hard of a time, especially with now connections across many teams as he's uh, moved across uh, the league in the last number of years. So that would yeah. be uh, my take. He's now under one of the winningest managers in major league history and Tony Larusa. So would be a great guy to kind of learn the ropes. And one other thing that I was also thinking about is who would be the best pitching coach maybe. And Josh Lindblom came to mind. Uh, you don't have to have an answer for this. I was just thinking about it separately, but Lindblom seems like he's very, um, he's, he's very knowledgeable about pitching as a whole. Uh, he kind of came up with a lot of the old school uh, things. He knows, he knows pitching really well, but he also is very well versed in the technology and using that to his advantage. He also went to Korea for a few years where they have a lot of different philosophies, different uh, things that they teach. So Lindblom came to mind actually as maybe being a future pitching coach. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, Lindblom not being necessarily like a power arm or superstar arm, but I could certainly see that um, as a potential as well for him. Uh, I just want to go back to, you were talking about Luke Roy with Larusa. Uh, does my memory serve me correct in that um, David Ross also got a couple managerial um, chances with uh, Joe Madden and the, and the Cubs prior to his retirement? Yeah, I at least once uh, they let him manage a game or two. Uh, I know Don Mattingly also usually will do that if they're kind of out of it the last game or two of the year. So we let AJ Ellis do that when he was both with the Dodgers and then with the Marlins also. Hmm. Um, he let, um, who else was it? Shoot. I think he let Juan Uribe do it. Um, veteran guys like that, they let him manage a game or two. Of course, not not exactly like how it is uh, when you're actually the manager. Uh, but yeah, Mattingly did do that. I think Madden did that. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe Luke Roy will become actually the White Sox almost hired Paul right. Canerco as a player manager six, seven years ago. So, um, so I don't think that we will see that this year. Uh, and I, I don't think Tony Larusa will be suiting up as a player to become a player <laughs> manager either, but um, yeah, wh- White Sox probably not, uh, hopefully for them, they're probably not in a spot where they're doing that late in the season. They're probably, fighting for a, uh, uh, either an NL or AL central title or uh, some um, seating in the American league. So probably unlikely for them, but nonetheless, uh, there we have it for our uh, active brewers slash non-active brewers as the best uh, managers. So as we wrap things up here today, David, uh, we got our t- trivia question. So uh, remind our listeners here, what's today's trivia question? Yeah. Today's trivia question is what percent of the payroll do the brewers four main outfielders make up? Uh, so the Brewers' four highest paid players being outfielders, what percentage of the payroll do they make up? And what's your answer for today, Peter? Yeah, I was uh, trying to think this through while we went through the podcast episode. Obviously, Christian Yelich signing the extension. I know Kane had a pretty decent size deal when we brought him in. Uh, and then JBJ and Garcia both getting two-year deals recently. I- I'm going to go with uh, 68% for my pick. You are a little bit high on that. The answer is 59.9% coming from their outfield. Um, So still a very high percentage. I I honestly don't know if we've ever seen a team that their four highest paid players are all outfielders. A little bit strange, but um, that's how how the Brewers chose to construct their roster. And actually the Brewers highest paid non-outfielder. Well, I guess, who who do you think would be their highest paid non-outfielder on the roster? Yeah, uh, let me think here on that. Um, so obviously, some of the, the younger guys still under control, Woodruff, Burns, Hayter, none of those guys are going to be there. Um, oh, they did bring in Colton Wong. Is Wong that player? Uh, it is not Wong. It is actually Josh Hader, Uh You had mentioned before, 6.675 in arbitration. 
And Colton Wong, uh, the thing is, a lot of his is being deferred. So technically, he's only being paid $2 million this year. If you do count his uh, his full salary, though, that's $7.5 million that will come later on, and that would propel him into the highest non-outfielder. So I guess um, that would have maybe been a, a helpful clarification, even if it may have given it away. But I guess a bonus trivia question for today before we wrap up the episode. Yeah, like you said, it is an interesting one. That would be a very difficult trivia question to uh, to research on whether uh, other major league teams have had a high four highest all outfielders. Kind of weird that the Brewers ended up being structured that way. Definitely would not have guessed that. And it's kind of a rare combination of young, controllable talent. Our favorite three words there uh, in the uh, on the mound primarily, and then some other minor pieces over at catcher third base uh, and that sort of thing. So kind of interesting makeup of the Brewers payroll. Uh, any parting thoughts here, David, before we sign off? Uh, next week, we'll be talking about catchers and infielders previewing, continuing to look at the roster before the year starts. Uh, maybe we'll see the first round of roster cuts even coming already. Not sure exactly what that'll look like since um, they are going to have an alternate training site. Again, the players aren't really going to be going to like the minor league side. Uh, but maybe a little bit more figurative in roster cuts this year. But we could see that uh, already as soon as this upcoming week, since they're, uh, by the time we record our next episode, probably halfway done with spring training. Yeah, definitely. And again, uh, Brewers currently standing at four and three in uh, spring training. And again, Jackie Bradley Jr., the newest Brewer, two-year, $24 million contract, really beefs up the Brewers outfield and uh, puts the Brewers right up there with the Cardinals uh, as a potential contender there for the top spot in the NL Central. Again, tune in next week. We will be taking a deep dive uh, over at the Brewers infield as well as their two primary catchers. So that is all we have for today. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.